Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org. Today's scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. This is the word of God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. God, our Father, we are very grateful that you have given us the gift of your very words in this book, Holy Scripture. May we be listeners and obedient students as we open the word. In your name, amen. You may be seated. Well, it is wonderful to be with you all, and if you have not met me before, I will go to the back when I'm done, and you can come and shake my hand. And with me is my beautiful wife. Marilyn, will you please stand up? You'll want to shake her hand even more. And you can give her a hug. I don't care. And you can kiss her. I don't care. She's a beautiful woman. That's scriptural. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, just remember, it's holy. Now, if you would take your Bibles and open to Hebrews chapter 12, you also have an outline in your bulletin. Please take that so you can follow me very carefully. Now, we've just had the scriptures read to us. I've entitled this passage, Running, Running the Race of Faith. Let me repeat that. Running the Race of Faith. Now, after listening all of the heroes of the faith in chapter 11, now he turns to the greatest hero of the faith, the greatest one who endured suffering, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that therefore is a strong inferential conjunction. Therefore, in light of what you have learned about all these wonderful saints of the Lord, this great cloud of witnesses before you, let's apply it. And so our first point is runners of the past, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud, the cloud there is a metaphor for a host, a throng of people, a large throng of people who are witnesses. This cloud of witnesses refers to the Old Testament saints who now witness or preach or proclaim to the Christian church God is faithful, and the effectiveness of faith, all this is said to encourage us. Now, here's something very interesting. The writer says, all right, take a look. A great cloud of witnesses. Uh, A great host of people have gone before you. I want you to look at them and learn from them. They're witnesses. God is faithful, and they all endured. Now, here's what is interesting. God uses biography. Do you realize how much of the Bible is biography? There's 66 chapters on the life of David. And you think of the life of Abraham and Jacob 
And Joseph, I mean, many, many chapters on each of these men. Moses, whole books in the Bible. Daniel, Jeremiah, come to the New Testament, four Gospels, and much of it in the epistles is about the Apostle Paul and the book of Acts. God uses biography to teach us, look at how others have lived the faith before you. Now, if you're a mom and dad here, I would like to make a suggestion that you learn to read children's biographies of the great saints of old, because that's what he's saying here. Look at the cloud of witnesses. Look at the 2,000 years of church history. Hudson Taylor, George Mueller, uh, Billy Graham, all these great saints. God teaches us through the lives of people. And you know the same thing happens even now as you look around. You may not even realize it's going on, but people are modeling Christ They're modeling the Christian life. Sometimes it's imperceptible. We don't even realize it, but we are being influenced by the elders of the church and the deacons and the saints here that are so faithful to the Lord. As you're looking around at all these people, and you look around at 2,000 years of church history and almost 4,000 years of Old Testament history, he says, that's right. You'll be encouraged as you look at them. So dads and moms, I really want to encourage at the supper table that you read great biographies and it'll change your children's lives. So I'm uh, 14 or 15 years of age. I am a little guy, maybe 135 pounds. And our leader at Pine Bush Bible Camp for six years was a man named Paul B. Sapp, weighed over 300 pounds and six foot four, big red hair, crazy looking guy. And he would say to us young people, every summer we had to read a biography. Every summer he's very big into reading biographies. And I am 15 years old and I read the biography of Hudson Taylor. In fact, what he would say to us is, read that biography or I'll sit on you. I didn't want him to sit on me. There'd be nothing left of me. So I read that biography. And next time I read George Mueller. Well, here I am, 15, 16 years of age. I read these biographies. Do you know I am never the same? I was never the same. Their values became my values. Young people need heroes. They do need heroes. That's why the Jackson called their book Hero Tales. Young people need model, role models. And the world provides plenty for them. Why don't you provide the right ones for them? So, look around you. Look around. They're there. What he's saying to us is notice that you are not alone in this race. Multitudes of people have gone before you. They've run the Christian life. They've run the life of faithfulness to God. Always, at all times, says Eric Sauer, there have been heroes of the faith. Multitudes have gone before you. Now look at them. Take encouragement from them. Follow them. And what they illustrate is faith. Believing, trusting, following God's promises. Now, this leads us to our second point. And let me just have a little water here. Two weeks ago, I came home from Camp Elam. I am the chaplain at Camp Elam, so I'm down there every week. Had a wonderful summer this summer. And I came home. I went to bed and didn't get up till. Uh, Sunday morning, and that Sunday morning I was supposed to be with you. And as you can see, I didn't make it. But I've had a terrible, terrible cold for two weeks, but I am doing much better. If you want to feel sorry for me, that's okay. Runners of the present, look at verse (coughs) 1. Let us lay aside every weight 
and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance, the key word, the race that is set before us. So now he goes to the metaphor of the race. Here he thinks of a marathon. Really, he's thinking of a cross-country race. Now look at the end of this verse, what he says. The race that is set before you. I want you to look at that carefully. The race that is set before you. In other words, this is not some willy-nilly race. This is a God-appointed race. Let me repeat that. This is a God-appointed race. He set the course out for you. And it's our duty and our privilege to run this race. You are a runner in a race. It is the race of life. This race begins the moment you're born again of God. When the Holy Spirit of God comes in you, makes you a child of God, adopted into His family, the race begins. Now, that race does not end when you're 65. That race ends the moment you draw your last breath. But you know, many people say, well, I'm 65. I've, I've served a lot. I, I've served the Lord and others. No, you're a runner in a race. We say, but I'm 70 years old. I'm 75 years of age. No, you're a runner in a race. But you say, I'm 90 years old. I, I can't run. No, you are a runner in a race. Oh, but you say, I'm in a wheelchair. I'm in a wheelchair. I can't run a race. You're a runner in a race. God's called you to run that race. And you can be in a wheelchair and run that race, make, making phone calls, writing letters to people. So many things you can do. Wonderful prayer ministry, Bible reading, ministry. At 90, in a, in a, what you say, oh, but you don't know. I'm in a hospital bed. I'm in a hospital bed. I'm in hospice. You're still in the race. Reminds me of Mr. Herb Banks who started our church at Littleton Bible Chapel. And Herb was dying of cancer. There wasn't much left of him. He was about 86 years of age. <coughs> and one of the elders comes into the room there. He's just he's literally bones and skin. And Herb is reading a book. And so the elder says, what, what, what are you reading, Herb? He says, I'm reading a book on missions. Shouldn't he be reading a book on funerals or caskets or uh, how to be embalmed and look good? Um, He's reading a book on missions, and he's weeks from death. I can tell you, being there with Herb those weeks before he died, every time we went there, we got assignments from him. I'd have to pull out my card and uh, start taking down the uh, things that he would ask me to do. And then, of course, he'd want to know this one, that one. They there, you better call that one, Alex. And here he is, away from death, and he's running the race. Right to the end. That's what the Lord says here. Run the race set before you. You don't calculate the end. That's not your job to retire. Yes, seasons of life, different focus in life, but you are a runner in the race, and the race does not end until you take your last breath. We are all runners in a race. Now, how to run the race? So this is what he moves to next. <coughs> and he says, run unencumbered. Also in verse 1, lay aside every weight. Now, this is good advice for a race. Now, um, I used to run, uh, ran for a number of years, and um, if I was in a marathon race now, I would have to lay aside every weight. So I've got these, those are nice shoes. I got these from Argentina. Some man at a big store there, and he gave it to me. Those things are 25, look, they're brand new. You don't run a race with shoes like, they're beautiful shoes, but don't run a race with them. And then I've got this jacket, it's a summer jacket. I actually hadn't had a summer jacket in years. It's a nice jacket. If you really need it, I'll give it to you, don't worry. But um, it's a really nice jacket. Look at this nice, 
the belt in my pants and, and my shoes matched. That, that was an accident. I didn't plan that. But anyway, Marilyn, uh, did this on my own. So anyway, no, no, you don't run with a nice belt and um, uh, shoes and a jacket like this. No, what do you do when you're in a race? You strip them off. Everything comes off. Do you know that in a, a race, even a half a pound could cause you to lose the race? A half a pound. We just had the Tour de France, and in the Tour de France, and in that, one pound, one extra pound on you of clothing or sneakers or bicycle parts can cause you over seven days to lose, lose a race. So what he's saying here, he's giving you advice. This is a long race. It's a lifelong race. You've got to strip off anything that will encumber or impede this race. Now, I want you to notice this is not sin. He's not talking about sinful things. He'll talk about that in a moment. He's talking now about things that will bog you down in the race. Now, young people often come and they say something like this. Maybe you've heard this from your children. Can I do this? Can I not do that? The do's and the don'ts, right? They want to know what should they do or not do. Uh, they'll ask you, can I drink alcohol? Not a 10. Uh, can I go to R-rated movies? Can I go to Las Vegas if I only spend 25 cents? What about the clothes I wear? How about the hairdos I have or my friends? What about the music I'm listening to? What about the entertainment I have? What about the sports I'm involved in? What about certain habits I have? Endless questions, right? And they want to know, yes or no, yes or no. So I want to give you a good answer to that. Are you ready for it? Dads and moms, save you a lot of problems. Is it a weight? Maybe perfectly legitimate. That's what the apostle says in 1 Corinthians 10, 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are built up. Not all things are edified. In other words, in the Christian life, there's a lot of liberty. There is so much liberty, we usually make up rules to feel better about ourselves. <coughs> the question here is, is it impeding your Christian walk? Is it hurting your maturity in Christ? Is it causing you not to read and study and learn the very words of God? Is it causing you not to be at church? Is it causing you not to be uh, doing and service unto the Lord? Is it holding you up in the race? Is it bogging you down? Are there impediments in the race because of these habits? Now, again, these can all be very good things. Nothing wrong with them. That's why only you can answer that. It may be something that everyone else does, but you shouldn't do. Because it, it slows you down. It's, it impedes your performance for Jesus Christ. In the heart of hearts, you have to ask yourself, this habit I have, this particular like I have, whatever it might be, is it holding you up in your growth in Christ and maturity in Christ, service for Christ? Very good advice. Run unencumbered and run to the end unencumbered. Now there's another problem, but it's even worse. It's called lay aside every sin. Notice it sings, uh, clings so closely. Now we're not talking about Christian liberties. We're not talking about freedoms. We're not talking about uh, neutral things that only you can decide. We are talking about sin. And there's nothing that will hold up this race and sidetrack this race like sin. And in fact, he says something very interesting here. He said, sin wishes cunningly to encompass and to lay siege upon us. 
It attacks us from every side. He's thinking here of sin in a race and uh, like an octopus or something like that just wraps itself all around and you can't run. It gets tighter and tighter. So I read a story here right in Denver of this man and he had this 20-foot bowl constrictor. I didn't even want to be near that thing. But he would take it to parties. This was his job. And at the party, everyone would, uh, it was 250 pounds, everyone would line up and they'd all hold the snake and take pictures and they'd put the snake around their neck and take pictures, which is not a good idea. I'm warning you right now. Uh, I will do your funeral, though. Anyway, uh, <coughs> he's playing with this snake. And he puts this snake around him, and the snake's wrapped himself all around him. Just the idea here. One second, the snake constricted and killed him. Instantly killed him. It was in the newspaper. That's the idea here. You cannot play with sin because it's like a stricter. It just it wraps itself around you, and you think, I can take care of this. Don't worry, a little bit of marijuana, a little bit of alcohol, a little bit of pornography. I got it under control. No, you don't, because that is the nature of sin. Cunningly, it wraps itself slowly around you until you, don't, you are not able to defeat it. Because it mars the performance, it mars the race, and sin is like that. If you knew that you were in a game, a sports game, and you lose, you're guaranteed to lose every time, would you get involved? Well, that's what God says about sin. Every time you mess with sin, tolerate sin, you lose. There's no possible way you can win because God's made it that way. He built it in like gravity. Every time I let something go, it falls to the ground. It's a principle. Play with sin, you lose, and it wins. Then he says, run with endurance. Run with endurance. So, whatever those weights are, I don't know what they are. You must decide. Put them aside. If there's sin, deal with it, and deal with it quickly. That's called the amputation principle. Jesus said, if your hand... Um, offends you, cut it off. Your eye offends you, cut it out. What he means is amputate, deal ruthlessly. Don't play with sin. If it's destroying your life, deal with it. <coughs> now he talks about run with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, this is actually the big point here because throughout this book we have Christians who are not running the race anymore. They're actually going backwards and some are not going to church and some of them are simply not growing and uh, it's a very serious situation. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And in a marathon, you must endure. And what this tells us is there needs to be sustained effort. We must go the difference because God has laid the course out before us. It's different for everyone. Don't look around at other people and say, oh, man, they got it easy. That's better hard. It's different for everyone. And we don't know what's ahead, but we are to run. <clears throat> the track is there. It's not a sprint. It's really more like a cross-country race. Up, down, sunshine, rain, logs, streams, rocks in the way. You sustain effort and you endure. Run with endurance. Keep going on. Now, in my own personal life, I must say to you that one of the most encouraging things, something that really encourages me, is to see people go on for a lifetime. Many people start out good, 
See them saved at camp, doing good. Five years later, we can't find them. Ten years later, they're nowhere to be found. But when you see a brother or sister in the 50s, in the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, and the 90s, and I think of Mr. Ed Risto at Littleton Bible Chapel at a hundred, uh, let me see, no, no, he was 99 years of age, teaching our seniors, as many of you know him, teaching our seniors at 99 years of age, and one day he comes to the elders and he says to the elders, you know, I think I'm getting a little too old. You need a younger man, someone about 90. Ed died at 102, and thank God he had his mind. But when you're with Ed Risto, now normally when you're with a 100-year-old person, they always tell you about their aches and pains, their newest medication and how life is. Not Ed Risto. When you were with Ed Risto at at 100 years of age, one of his first questions is, do you have a new commentary on Thessalonians? This is true. And his daughter-in-law told me he'd sit in his chair, read his Bible, do his studies, study his commentaries, prepare some talks, uh, call people up. 100 years old, he went to 102, running the race, going forward. Don't you come up with those excuses. We've heard them all. Lame excuses why you can't run the race. God's not asking you, by the way. He's laid the course out. It's your responsibility. You'll you'll answer for the course. (coughs) E. Stanley Jones was a missionary to India for over 50 years. And he he writes his biography uh, just before he died. And E. Stanley Jones wrote this. There are scarce, there are scars on my faith, but underneath those scars, there's no doubts. Christ has me with the full consent of my being and with cooperation of my life. The song I sing is a light song, not the temporary exuberance of youth that often fades when uh, uh, middle or old age set in with their disillusionments and cynicism. Now listen to this. (coughs) No, I am 83 years of age, and I am more excited today about being a Christian than when I was 18 and I first put my foot on the way. I'm 83 years of age, and I'm more excited today about Jesus Christ than when I was 18. Now, almost always, it's reverse. He's running the race. He's running strong. He's laid aside the weights and any sin that would would encompass him. It is encouraging, very encouraging to me, to see people like George Verwer in his 80s now still traveling and pressing forward and uh, uh, Billy Graham right into his high 90s pressing forward in evangelism and seeing people here in this church in older years still pressing forward. Now sometimes health issues come in and uh, we're not able to press like we used to. But you know what? The Lord knows our hearts and our minds that we want to press forward. And then we press forward in a different way through prayer and encouraging others. We may not be able to do a lot, but that's not it. It's being faithful to the Lord and enduring and praising Him even in the weaknesses. Even in the weaknesses. All right, see, (coughs) run with aim, run with aim. Now, this reminds me of my little daughter, Annie. I don't think she's here today. She... I thought she was going to come today. But Annie is just a little tiny thing, and she's always been little and real wiry, but she's been a very fast runner all through grammar school. So one day we went to see one of her races, and we're standing on the sideline. The gun goes off, and she's running, running, and all of a sudden she looks behind her because she knows she's going to win the race, looks behind her, and two girls go right by her. Race was done. She lost, and she came to me and said, Dad, what, 
what happened? I lost the race. I said, honey, you look behind you. The moment you turned around and looked behind you, you slowed down. When you run in a race like that, you do one thing. Keep your eye on that goal. You go for it as fast as you can. Do not look around. <coughs> well, that's exactly what he says here. It's all about your aim, what you're looking at. What's the goal? Keep your eye on the goal. Eric Zauer, in his great commentary on this passage, says this. If you wish to be uh, disheartened, look at others. If you wish to be downheartened, look on yourself. But if you wish to be encouraged and to experience victory, look at Jesus. All depends on how one looks at life. He who would live aright must see aright. In the arena of faith, look unto Jesus. Now, I want to just talk about this look unto Jesus, but I have to give you a warning right now. Sociologists tell us this, and I don't need them to tell me this. This is the age of distractions. Never, never, never in human history has there been so many distractions. That's a fact. We have televisions. We have movies. We have internet. We have advertisements. We have sports coming around us from every direction. There are so many distractions, and these distractions are weights. may not be sinful, but when you give yourself to these distractions, they are a weight to your growth in Christ and your race for Christ. <clears throat> Beware. Distractions are all around you. Help your children with this big problem. Many of them spent hours in front of games. Many of them spent hours watching movies. It's a very, very big problem, and it's a distraction, and it's hurting the church of Jesus Christ. People are not running the way they should run. So look unto Jesus. Now, two things about Jesus here he wants to tell us. First, he's the um, founder the founder of the faith, of, of the faith principle. He's the originator. He's the pioneer. He's the forerunner. He's the champion. He's the initiator of the race of faith. And, and that is what he's talking about here. You run the race by believing in what God says you are to do and where the goal is. Jesus Christ lived a life of faith the entire time he was on earth doing what his father had told him to do. So he's the greatest example of the faith principle, even in, in, in the garden. He obeyed the father. Although everything inside of him said, if there's any other way, that this could be done. But it's the will of the father. And by faith, he moved forward. And then He's the perfecter of faith. In other words, no one ever lived the life of faith like Jesus. Uh, his point here is this. Jesus is the example of endurance and of living by faith when things are really rough, like the crucifixion, facing Golgotha. He lived the most perfect life of faith, endurance that anyone has ever lived even to the point of the cross. Now, this brings us <coughs> to some of his final points, which is the big point, is the joy set before him. I want you to notice what it says here about Jesus, the example of faith. 
Notice the first thing he said, he endured the cross. No one here, all of us together, have never faced trials, suffering, humiliation, death, like the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet he endured. He pressed forward. He ran the race by faith. He endured even the cross, the lowest form of capital punishment, and he endured. Second thing it says, despising the shame. In other words, he thought nothing of it. What he means here is that they despised and scorned the Lord Jesus, but he turned it all around and despised and scorned the shame. Reversed the whole thing. That is amazing. Now, because he was victorious, he obeyed God, he endured, God gave him the highest point in the universe above all others, all of the names, all of Philippians chapter 2. That was his reward. By the way, there's a reward coming for us. What is true of Jesus is true of us. The reward that Jesus received, we will receive too. There will be a day of rewards, a day of reigning and ruling with Christ. It's going to be a great and glorious day. Whatever we've sacrificed, he is no man's debtor. It's a hundredfold. Now, we come to the key. I know you've been waiting for this the whole time. We come to the key to success in the race. And here it is. Everything we've said, just come to this point. Notice what it says. And for the joy that was set before him, the joy <coughs> that was set before him, he endured the cross. Now, we've got to get this. He faces the cross, he faces Golgotha, he faces sin, he faces a humiliation unlike anything any of us have ever seen. And yet he went forward, he endured, right? And as a result, God gave him the highest place in all the universe. How did he do it? For the joy that he saw through the whole Golgotha and the cross. He saw through it. What did he see? Well, he saw the glorification of God the Father. He saw a personal victory over sin and Satan. He saw multitudes of sons and daughters brought to Christ by his work. And the uh, reconciliation of all things. Uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, where he talks about the, the universe in dis disarray, but someday it all be brought together under one head. All the confusion and sins all going to be dealt with, and everything will be unified under one head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Reconciliation will be the great victory through Christ. And a new heaven and a new earth and a great victory will be won. He, he saw all that. And he endured. Now, real quickly, turn in your Bibles. Very quickly, we don't have a lot of time. And you know how they feel about time here. I can't see what time it is, so I'm safe. All right, you've got to get this verse. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. So, are you with me? He did not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, the inner self is being renewed day by day. That's, by the way, that's my secret to aging. The outward man, it's falling apart. 
faster than I thought it would be. But the inner man, the man in Christ, the new man in the race, every day he's being renewed. Boy, that's great. For this light, get each word, momentary afflictions is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. Now, this is the same thing as we have in Hebrews. I have used this verse hundreds of times, hundreds, in talking to people in the hospital, people going through trials. Paul says, light, make believe I had a scale here, right? Light, momentary affliction, cancer, serious um, problems at work, loss of weight, work, uh, problems with children, light, momentary, temporary affliction. All right, over here on the scale, eternal weight of glory. No comparison. Can't compare it. So, this is called divine perspective. When you face afflictions, problems, issues, uh, things you never, never thought would happen to you, how do you face it? Look through it to the eternal weight of glory. That's what Jesus did. For the joy set before him, he looked through the gloom, through the darkness, through the sin, through the ignominy, and he looked to the glory that would follow. The joy that was set for him. He endured. He went forward. He ran the race when it was so hard. So hard. That's how we do it. Get eternal perspective. Whatever, whatever problems you have, they're light and they're momentary. They're not actually comparable to the eternal weight of glory because he said the things that are seen are only temporary and the things that are unseen eternal. We're talking about eternal, never-ending, temporal. There's no comparison. Keep your focus, that's this whole thing, for endurance, keep the focus on the goal. Run the goal. Don't go looking around. Don't go, oh, look at brother so-and-so over there. Oh, look how big that church is over there. Oh, that guy, look at him. He's so famous and all this. That gets you in a lot of trouble. Keep your eye on Jesus Christ and on the one who ran the race before us and the joy set before him, knowing what the real end of this story would be. You know the real end of the story? Eternal glory. Now, real quickly, real quickly, I, I literally cannot see my watch. How much time do I have? Anybody tell me. 15 minutes. That's a miracle. Okay. You watched a miracle today. Whew. I haven't had many of those in my life. but All right. Now, Jesus is the supreme example of endurance. The, the problem in the church is that people weren't enduring. They, they, were, they were getting sidetracked by the problems. There were legitimate problems and persecution. They weren't enduring. They weren't pressing forward. They weren't looking at the great cloud of witnesses saying, hey, others have gone this way before. Many others have gone this way before. I'm pressing forward. He says here, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Okay, the word consider is really a strong word. Carefully calculate. Carefully calculate. So, 
Life is rough because the world's broken, and there's many things that happen to us we never, we never dreamed would happen to us, but they happen. Don't be surprised. You shouldn't be surprised by anything in a broken, sinful world. <coughs> That's why you better have your focus, where you're going, and how you interpret this all. How do you carefully calculate Jesus Christ who suffered? How, how do you do that? Well, let me give you some real quick practical advice. Number one, number one, the Lord's Supper. Do you realize that every time you take the Lord's Supper, you carefully calculate? You're coming back to the, the root of everything, the foundation of everything, which is Jesus Christ crucified. We just looked at that, um, Romans chapter uh, 5. When we take the Lord's Supper, we're recalculating. We're, we're getting our focus back, again, where it needs to be. And I believe God does wonderful things to us as we remember him because we forget so easily. It's so natural to forget. Children of Israel constantly have their problem. So, when we take the Lord's Supper, we are carefully calculating Jesus Christ. We're looking unto Jesus. Get it all started again right. So we, we remember the first principles of our, our faith. Second, reading Scripture. Every time we take the Bible and we open the Bible and we read it, it's the very words of God which the Holy Spirit of God works in our hearts to illuminate us and to speak to us and help us. This is how we hear from God. And we do hear from, from Him when we study and meditate and read carefully His words. We're Keeping our eyes on Jesus. It's very practical things, not something theoretical. We keep our eyes on Jesus when we keep our eyes on the Word. And, and we have that actually for us in uh, Luke chapter um, 10 of 42, when uh, it's a beautiful story. Mary and Martha, most of us are like Martha. I'm a lot like Martha. Um, and uh, busy, busy, and uh, worried and bothered about so many things, getting a nice meal. And Jesus said, calm down. Mary, calm down. Ma uh, Martha, calm down. Mary has chosen the right thing. What was the right thing? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him. He'd rather our fellowship than our work. And, and it says that what he did will not be, ever be taken away from him. That's what we do when we, we open the Bible, we sit at the feet of Jesus and we listen carefully to his words. We don't have Jesus physically with us, but what he wants us to hear is write this in, in his book. This is his book. It's the monarch of books. He gave us it. One of the greatest gifts outside of Jesus is the Bible. And yet we're so busy, 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 we have no time for God. It's a new idolatry, by the way. Our songs, our songs. When we are singing, we are focusing on the founder of our faith and the perfecter of our faith. I don't think any of us realize how important singing is or music is because it touches us on the deepest emotional level, the level of our affections. And a lot of times, let's be honest, I mean, I know you're also spiritual. You don't want to read the Bible. You don't feel like praying. I mean, it's just sort of cold, and it's just, it sounds so boring again, and I do that all the time. And How do you turn that around? Well, start singing. Start singing. Start listening to good Christian music, and your heart will be warm. That's what it does. That's why we have all these psalms from David, because they're meant to move the heart. And when they move the heart, then we move the mind. I don't think any of us realize the importance of Christian music. 
and singing and praising the Lord, listening to good Christian music is the way that he turns us around and touches us deeply on the emotional level of life. And then our prayers. Prayer is communion with God. In the book of Hebrews, incredible things the book of Hebrews says. Draw near. In fact, in my prayer request I have written on the top, draw near, draw near. God says, draw near. I want to have communion with you. But I'm so busy. You don't know how busy I am. I really don't have time to draw near. Well, that's a bit of idolatry, it seems to me. Prayer is a way we keep our focus on Jesus and how we keep him as the center and as the goal for which we are running this race. And then here's one you may never have thought about, spiritual conversation. You ever hear that? Get together. What, what does everyone talk about when we get together? So one thing everyone, well, we know what it is. The weather. Oh, the weather. is a horrible weather today. I don't know how I endure it. Or, you know, complaints. That's the second thing. You ever listen to how much people spend complaining about things? Some people, I don't even want to be with them. Ah, that's a terrible weather. Ah, the food is no good. People I have to deal with. You ought to know my children. Ooh. I hate this house. I hate this country. <coughs> that's what we normally do. Did you ever hear a spiritual conversation? That's right, spiritual conversation. So, talk about the weather, talk about the sports, good. Cut that out, limit it, and then start telling one another. Maybe you're out for lunch, maybe you're at an anniversary party, or you're at a, a wedding party, you're at a, uh, we were at a funeral par, uh, a, a party yesterday, and we had the, uh, the you don't say party, do you? Um, well, anyway, we had a, a funeral. And we had a lovely, lovely time to eat together and sit around the table and remember things. But you, you want to remember the Lord and, and, and talk about the Lord and what you've been learning and, and growing about and asking one another questions. <coughs> I have been very, very disturbed, maybe to the point, I may have been a little bit too uh, excitable about this, but you go to birthday parties and you go to anniversary parties and nothing's said about the Lord. They'll, uh, they'll, of course, pray for the food or you would never eat. But after that, it's all games and stuff like that. Well, that's okay for a certain while. But remember, we're Christians. And when we get together, ultimately things should turn to the Lord. Now, I have felt so strongly about this. And you get to a certain age, you don't care anymore. You don't, you don't care what people really think. I mean, what does it care? And so the last number of years, when I've been at these parties or anniversaries, and they just go on and on with these silly games and that, I just take over and say, let's have a time. To, let's talk about brother so-and-so. What has he done to, to speak to your life? And uh, what has he done as a Christian? And you know what? Every time I do this, Everyone says, oh, that was so good that you got us out of those games and just eating, eating, eating. And we're talking about the Lord as a group. And we're talking about this anniversary. We're talking about this individual's birthday. And we're saying, what have they done that has uh, sparked our lives? And how are they uh, an example to us? And every time I've done this, my wife will tell you, they don't throw anything at me. Uh, no one has uh, uh, thrown uh, alcohol in my face or anything like that, they've all said, oh, thank you that we've had time to talk about the Lord. You know, conversation is a way we encourage one another. It's the way we keep our eye on the Lord, right? We keep our eye on the Lord, uh, uh, the one who's gone before us. And it's also 
the way we understand life's problems. And then hearing the word uh, preach. So right now I'm preaching to you, and right now you've got your eye on Jesus. Yeah, you look at me, but really the Holy Spirit is taking what I'm saying, and he's setting your eyes on Jesus, and he's setting the course for the, the, uh, the race that has been set before you. He's helping you run that race by listening to the Bible preach. Every time the Bible is preaching, the Holy Spirit's in this whole room. It's a sacred, holy place you're in. <coughs> and you're hearing the Word of God as you've been going through Hebrews. And while you are doing that, the Lord is focusing your eye on Christ. And he's helping you to endure and press forward. And maybe uh, there's been some weights in your life that's uh, uh, bogging you down. And right now the Holy Spirit says to you, cut that out. Or maybe you're playing around with sin. He says, cut that out, repent, because it will take you down. Well, these are the ways we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Focus, focus on him. Through the Bible, through prayer, through fellowship together. And all of this helps us to run the race at 60, 75, 85, 90. Keep going forward. Now again, I know there are seasons of life. And I know there are problems with our bodies sometimes. But even if you're in bed, you can pray. You can pick up the phone and call and, uh, and, and uh, help people. Cur oh, there's so much we can do to encourage people. Write notes. My wife is so good at just writing notes all the time to people. You are, you are a living example of praising God, rejoicing in God when you're in bed. In fact, you have a unique way to glorify God when you're in bed and you can't do everything. Everyone would rather be active, but you can't be active because your, Bible, your, your body won't allow you. Oh, no, you can, you can praise God and glorify God, and he is honored. Look at my child. Look at him there. Lay in the bed, a lot of suffering, but he's always, always praising me, always a smile for Jesus, witnessing to people that come around. So run this race to the end. Press forward. Don't come up with these lame excuses why you aren't going to run anymore. You've done so much for God. You don't need to. Run with endurance this marvelous life he has set before you. Will you run? Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you for really very powerful words in your word. And I just pray that you would speak to us because sometimes we don't hear very well and we get pretty stubborn and we like the old ways and uh, we don't want to break out of the habits that we're very comfortable with. But to run the race, to just find out those things that are weighing down and just bogging us down and marring, marring this race that you have laid out before us, this life you have given us. May you be honored by every life here. May, may it bring great joy to you as each one, in their own way, press forward in the, the race of life. And there is an end to the race, a glorious end that far beyond anything we can even describe of. So help us all. 
May what we've said today make a difference. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.